0: This isn't your average business podcast and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Man, I know so many people in so many different kinds of debt. There's student loan debt, IRS debt, credit card debt. What do you do about debt? My guest today he has a podcast, the DIY Money Podcast, where he deals specifically with how he solved his own debt issues, and he talks to many other people about it. But we're going to talk directly about the smartest way to deal with debt, and I'm going to talk about probably the dumbest ways to deal with debt, and you could decide which way you should probably do both ways. But here it is. You know, I don't really do a lot of podcasts about finance. I write about finance, but I used to do a lot more with this between 2000 and 2010 and, uh, anyway, I don't really like talking about stocks or investing and all that stuff, but right now we're living in a very different time. Everyone always says, Oh no, you can't say this time. It's different. Well, guess what? This time it's different you know, one out of three Americans were laid off from their jobs. I don't care what the unemployment rate is. I don't trust any of those numbers. We know that 55 million people had to apply for unemployment insurance. We know that there's probably 30 million people who are four months behind on their rent and they're about to be evicted unless there's some kind of relief. We know that there's 1.5 trillion in student loan debt. We know that there's probably another trillion or more in credit card debt. We know that mortgage debt is huge and a lot of people haven't been able to pay it back which means that not only uh, the homeowners and uh, the, the credit card holders and so are in debt, but the people who lent the money and the people who lent money to the credit card people and the people who lent money to the students and or on and on and on, ev- the companies are in debt. So you have citizens, you know, the, the individuals in debt, you have companies in debt, you have landlords in debt. Everybody is going to get crunched And we're here to not scare you, but to find solutions. So I, I called up a good friend of mine, Quint Tatro, uh, who runs his own money management fund called jewel financial. He also does the excellent podcast, which I highly recommend DIY for do it yourself, DIY money. I called up Quint. He came on over and we're going to talk about debt and how to get rid of it. And I think Quint and I have not quite different opinions on it, but, Depending on circumstances, I think my solutions could be a bit more radical. So probably listen to Quint first and then say, well, I need a plan B. And that's what I'm going to maybe provide. We'll see. But uh, Quint, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, James. So good to be here. I appreciate
0: it. I'm so glad you came here. You're the first person I've done on the podcast in person since... February, actually.
2: Well, it's a beautiful place to be. You have a lovely, uh, lovely place here.
0: Thank you. We did the escape from New York temporarily in in Florida here. But uh, so, first off, what, you know, I want to start hitting this from a very basic point of view first. If you're 17 years old, 16 years old, and we'll get to the people who are 45 and you know, we're we're laid off from their jobs or have some other difficulties and have all the debts I outlined above. But how should a kid start understanding debt? Because I could tell you when I was 18 or even when I was 51, I had no clue what debt was or what it meant to my life.
2: Yeah. Well, so the interesting thing is it's not just debt. It's understanding money, finances, you know, their budget. And this, I tell you what hit home with me, I teach an upper level finance class at the University of Kentucky. It's an intrinsic value class. It's an investing class. And off the cuff I was talking to one of my brightest students and I'm sure he'll be listening to this podcast he'll laugh. Michael Zoo. Michael Zoo. He's actually an, he's a, he's an analyst now at like a big big uh, uh, bulge bracket firm in in the city, so he'll laugh at this. But what were you going to say to Michael?
0: <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, pay attention and tell us go. if uh, tweet tweet at us if he messes anything up here.
2: Well, the funny thing is, I was talking to him about how over the weekend I went to open a bank account with my thirteen year old son, and it was so difficult. He had to use his passport to get it open, which it was a fluke that he even had a passport. I had taken him overseas, and so we happened to have that. And we went down, we opened this this checking account, and I was teaching him how to balance his checkbook. And Michael said, what are, you, what are you even talking about? What well, you- to be honest, I don't even know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> so, that, and let me just guess. Sure. Because people always say the phrase, obviously I've heard the phrase, I've never done it in my life. So I have never even looked up what it means to balance a checkbook. Does that mean you save all your receipts and make sure it matches all the checks you've written?
2: I do that. And I never checks anymore. No, well, true, true. I, I do that and have for 20 some years. I I'm, I'm personally very OCD. I do it in Excel and know where every dollar is spent. It's, it's not as you, yes, you can go to that extreme for sure, but it's not just about that. It's, more about knowing where your money's going.
0: Right, and and let me address that for a second. I'm sorry if I interrupt occasionally. Um, John Doerr, the venture capitalist, wrote uh, an excellent book that I have not read, but how can I say it's excellent? Because I love books where if you read the title, you know the entire book. You don't have to read the book if you just know the title. So the title is Measure What Matters. So by measuring all of your expenses, OCD or not, it does tell you, Oh my gosh, if I hadn't spent 20% of my, you know, extra cash flow on cigarettes, I would add X amount of dollars five years from now, if it compounds at this rate. So stuff like that is useful. Then you could say, well, this is another reason to stop smoking. I'm just using that as an example, but when the more you measure the more you're going to know about yourself and the things that are important
2: to you, and that's true across all all things. We know whether it's fitness and weight loss or it's even finance. And so when he taught, when he brought this up to me and said, he goes, "What what are you talking about?" And he look it, bright kid, obviously super smart kid. But I said, I said, "Well, it's a matter of tracking your expenses so you know where your money's going." And he goes, "Well, isn't that what my my apps for? I mean, I can just log in and see it." And I it it blew me away because. Again, if you don't measure where your money is, if you're not understanding where your money's going, how can you make these changes? This, this dawned on me. The reason we started this podcast, wrote the book, et cetera, was as you, as you did the introduction, we, uh, years ago, 20 years ago, I started a wealth management firm. Uh, we cater to, uh, you know, mid, mid to high net worth individuals, retirement planning, et cetera. It's a wonderful business, but I have a great passion for helping people who are trying to figure out how to get through the month. And it was very difficult. I would I would counsel people. I would meet with people and think about it. It's a terrible. There's no business in it. I mean, I mean, great. A lot of time. It's a yeah. wonderful service. But it's, but you know, if you think about, it, by definition,
0: these are you're someone who's in massive debt enough that it's a real serious problem
2: for them. They're not going to have like extra. Cash you're not going to charge for, them, yeah, right? Right. You Can't charge them. No, you can charge them. So I racked my brain and said, okay. What, what can we do? And so we, the, the podcast was born, uh, the book was born, but reason, there's a million podcasts out there that do this, but what I realized is I, I drew on my own experience. And 20 years ago, when I was starting my business and I was broke and I was trying to figure out how to uh, be a financial advisor while pay off debt, which was you know ironic, everybody simply comes out of the, the gate and says, well, get a budget, get a budget, get a budget. And the reality is most people have no idea how to create a budget. And they, they don't know how to do that because they don't track their expenses. They don't start understanding where their money is going. And so I sat down and I started saying, okay, in order to create a budget, I've got to start tracking all my expenses. I started doing this. And just as you alluded to in your example regarding that other book, my eyes were open to where I was spending my money. And it dawned on me very quickly I am going to go nowhere in life financially if I don't get a hold of how much I'm spending eating out, how much I'm spending on gas, how much I'm, I mean, it's absurd. So- And just, just to your point, like I remember, and again, I've always been clueless about this. And there's,
0: sometimes there's good reasons to be clueless about something. But I remember when I had my first major job and my boss, who was making a lot more money than me, obviously, he would bring in his, you know- paper bag every day and have a sandwich and an apple. And that was it. And I would be going out and eating out and spending, you know, $10 on a sandwich, you know, back in the nineties, it's like ridiculous. And he was spending nothing. And I remember I ran into him like 20, I ran into about 15 years later. And he told me he had just retired. He had saved $3 million as an employee of you know HBO, and he was
2: good. That was it. Like, and he had saved, and and it compounded. And the reality too is, you you hear people talk about, and I've heard this thrown around this this stat or whatever you want to call it. Uh, number one ra- reason for divorce is financial matters. I have never seen that proven. I've I've looked for it, but I can tell you that almost every divorce that you study or the statistics one of the commonalities regarding the uh, stress in the relationship or in the marriage ends up being money. So whether that resulted in in the divorce or not, so it's literally the stress, the anxiety of finances is tearing people apart. It's tearing families apart. It's tearing marriages apart. You talk about, you know, why I love your podcast, you talk about these, these kids coming out of school with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and they're not, you talked, you you opened my eyes to to this angle, which I didn't un, didn't really, uh, you helped me realize this was, if you graduate college with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, now you're subject to have to get a job to start paying that. So there goes our whole generation of entrepreneurs right. that can start a business. They can't take the risk.
0: Right, like back in the 60s, uh, you know, college, student loan debt has gone up so, it's gone up 10 times faster than inflation since the 60s. So now literally you cannot you know, make enough money anymore to pay down your debt. And what's happened is back in the 60s, you could graduate, okay, maybe you were $1,000 in debt, $150 in debt. You could get a job in Silicon Valley or anywhere, learn some skills in the real world, start a company. And this is where all innovation in the United States has come from. And what I'm scared about with a trillion and a half dollars in student loan debt, not to mention the other debts we're going to talk about, it, what's going to happen? Like people are, we're going to lose that edge that we've always had. No matter what happens with this pandemic and these lockdowns, we know that ingenuity and 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 the openness of America to ingenuity has created generation after generation of accelerated, you know, technology, innovations, you know, amazing, amazing things in science and genomics and AI and whatever you want to call it, the internet. And I'm worried that's that's gone. Combined with this lockdown, which has put everybody into like extreme debt now, unexpectedly.
2: Yeah, it, that, that's a great concern. I, I do want to go back. You you uh, started this off and said, "What do you tell the 17 year old?" and 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 so I want to address that. And and what I do tell a 17 year old is, it's it's time now to just start learning about anywhere you can, because they don't teach it in schools. Most, I mean, yes, there are some curriculums that are starting to introduce personal finance, but it's not a widely taught subject matter. And so kids are coming out of high school. They're coming out of college, many instances. They have no idea how to balance a checkbook. They have no idea what you know credit, credit scores, credit debt. You know, I mean, they have no idea of these things. So anybody who is listening that is in that camp and going, you know, well, how do I learn about this? just start listening to the podcast, right? Start listening to podcasts, start reading books, start. There's a a wealth of information out there. And the, the challenge that I have is, yes, there's a lot of information about starting a business, being an entrepreneur and so forth, but many people are underwater and need to get to zero before they can start to figure out how to leave their job or start a business or you know et cetera and th- and they got to learn how to do that and it, that's that's the whole point of what we do
0: yeah and um i mean i was I was talking to someone a few months ago, and he was telling me he was a junior and he was a hundred thousand dollars in debt already, and that's a lot of money i mean yeah. nobody you you even if you have millions and millions of dollars, you don't want to be a hundred thousand dollars in debt necessarily and I said to him, you're only a junior and what are you majoring in? And that got you a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And he said, he's majoring in business. And I said, I, you know, I think you should switch majors because business one one don't start a business. If you're, uh, don't go, don't go a hundred thousand dollars in debt until you start a business. Yeah. So, you know, I think people don't understand. I think that magically they'll start a business and they'll make it all back. And I've seen this, I've interviewed kids on, you know, at NYU, I've gone to NYU and like interviewed people, how much debt are you in? Well, how do you think you're going to pay it? And they literally, nobody had a good answer. Yeah. Nobody had a correct answer. And there's, maybe there's no correct answer, but people would say, oh, I'll just take, you know, 5%
2: of my income every month. You're not gonna be able to afford it. You're not right. gonna be able to do it. But we all are, we're also in a time period. So. It's easy for us to say don't do that, but there's going to be there's millions of people who are already there, right? They're already there. Right. They're listening to this podcast. They're going, "Well, that's great. I wish I would have known that when I was 17." But the reality is you you can get out of that debt. You you absolutely can. You can combine a disciplined approach to understanding where your money is going. You can l- literally get after it and hustle as far as, okay. I mean, we were working with a couple. I, I don't do a lot of one-on-one mentoring anymore, but this couple, you know, I've kind of adopted them in a way for years. They they sold their home with their family of, th- of three kids, five, ki- five people moved into an apartment because they cut their monthly expenses significantly. They, their apartment was right next to the school they attend. So no longer did they have to have two cars because one car was running back and forth to school. The kids were right there. And fast forward doing this for 18 months, they completely paid off two, uh, well, they had two car payments. And even though they got rid of one, they still had a car, you know, they were underwater. Uh, They paid off credit card debt, some store cards, and then they were in a position to turn around and buy another house and and start again. But they had to make a dramatic shift. It was a lot of work, but it can be done. It absolutely can be done. Right, so that's, so let me ask you a couple of questions about that because I'll tell
0: you the reason why that might be hard for me, and this is a bad reason, but it's, it's worth noting. I think I would be ashamed. I think I would be like, I'm not going to, I don't want to have to admit to everybody. I need to downsize. That's embarrassing. They're going to think I'm stupid or I failed or whatever. And I think that's a reason why a lot of times I I did actually end up going broke is because I probably should have cut the cord much faster. But, um,
2: so that's the first question how do you deal with that well that's pride and pride you know pride comes before the fall so you're gonna you're, you're you're if you can't get over that if you can't own your situation and unfortunately we live in a society where it's socially socially acceptable to walk around and pretend like you are wealthy and you have no money at all in fact you're completely upside down it was lo- some of our largest clients if i brought them in here uh, you, you'd feel bad for them. Want to give them a cup, buy them a cup of coffee and they're worth, you know, $10 million. I mean, it's just crazy person who comes in, you know, blinged out, they probably are, can't even afford their lease payment. But uh,
0: yeah, I, there's a, there's a saying, um, you, you don't know what someone's worth until they file for bankruptcy. Yeah. So.
2: <laughs> but I share with people, you, you, there's a chapter in the book that talks about learning to say no and learning. And you have to plan ahead when I first started down this path, and my wife, who's who joined me today, she, she's joined on this trip, it's uh you know, birthday weekend, right? So, so that's a fun ha- trip.
0: By the way, happy birthday. Thank you. I can't believe you're doing a podcast on your birthday, but hey it's good for you me. know,
2: but I can believe it because I've had a goal to be on your podcast for a very long time. i have I've loved your work, James. It's been very inspirational to me and and helpful for my family for years. so this is a this Thank is you. really a dream come true. But uh, when we were first married, when when Brandy and I were first married, Um, we said no a lot and we learned and we, so going back from the very beginning, we paid for our own wedding and we would sit down once a week and we would budget and save. And our wedding, I think we spent like 20 grand, which I seemed, it was a lot of money for us at the time. Uh, I know today's wedding, some dresses cost that much, but when that finished and the wedding was over and we had paid for it, we had saved for it, that set us on a path together Uh, to work as a team to really accomplish any financial goal that we wanted to put forward. But I think that's an important point. Like, I think part of the shame thing for me
0: is, and this maybe is a a male thing, maybe it's not, but I would feel like I'm letting Robin, my wife, down if I tell her, and and look, this is all on me. She would be fine with whatever, I'm sure, but I would just feel like I let her down If I have to, you know, cause like you said, uh, let's say you're already in this situation yeah, and and we're not talking about hypothetical. Let's say you're already in it and you have to do something that lets someone down and you had this whole ego tied to it and masculinity tied to it. And who knows uh, what else tied to it? I don't know. I, I think I'd have to work
2: really hard on the psychology. It's, and well, you nailed it. It's a psychological game and you're, you, but you're going to have to rip the Band-Aid off, or it's going to be, or it's going to be ripped off one way or the other. So, the reality is, well, I, I remember us, you know, saying no to friends. They would, they would be traveling, or they would be doing this, and and we just couldn't do it. We, we were like, no, we're, we can't afford it right now. We're saving for this, or we're trying to pay this off, et cetera. And fast forward, you know, many years, it, number one, allowed us to take risk. And again, you talk a lot about this, which I just love. By getting out of uh, debt early in our marriage and working together that allowed me to really sacrifice and start building a business. And so fast forward, you know, 15 years after that, now we not only have been able to be blessed and successful in the business, but now we can enjoy the fruits of our labor and not have to worry about debt, not have to worry about, you know, Paying bills. I mean, we pay bills, but I mean, you know, we don't have to go. Oh my goodness, we still are carrying around this debt, and And then pretending. Absolutely, and it drives my wife nuts to this day. I still track every penny that we spend all the time. I mean, I don't know now; it's almost habit, but I still track uh, almost every penny or every single penny that we that we spend in an Excel sheet we have a budget we still accrue for you know christmas expenses travel expenses you name it we we still do it i mean to this day but i tell kids you have to learn and people in general i don't care what their age is you have to learn how to say no you have to be honest and you have to you know really tear off the bandaid and and realize really where you are there's one aspect though
0: that's interesting which is that debt let, let, forget about college debt for a second, even though many, you know most of the country is, has to deal with that and it's this exorbitant amount and it's a huge scam. Most people, when they're young, probably shouldn't save that much. Because let's say, uh, you know, my first serious job, I was uh, I got 26 years old. I was making the huge salary then for me of uh, 40,000 a year. And it, it would have been an enormous stress for me to save any money. Then like, and it would have been pointless too. what would I have saved? $500 a month, even a thousand dollars a month, which you're, you're, you know, when you're young, you're the increase in your earnings potential increases so much faster than your debt load. Again, not assume, forget student loan debt for a second, your earnings potential increases so much faster than, um, your debt increases. It's not really that big a deal. I feel. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong.
2: Well, here's the deal. You, you and I, we're entrepreneurs. We, we, we think about the businesses and all the the money that can be made. You were talking about. You know, are you going to start a business? You know, this business idea you have. Are you going to? And, and you, in your mind, it's like this business is going to be successful. The challenges you and I have is not, you know, will a business idea work? It's do we really want to put the time and energy in it to make it work? And the reality though is most people are not like that. Most people don't have that gene uh, of entrepreneurial, you know, developing business ideas and trying to figure things out, coming back from, you know, being broke a few times. They don't have that. So the reality is, is if you can share with somebody that, look, uh, average car payment in the United States is around $350. Over the next 30 years, it will go up to around $500. So if you were to just eliminate a car payment, $500, and put it in a, an S&P 500 index fund, in 30 years, you have about a million bucks. So in the in the United States, it, I and mean, that's some $500 a month, $500 a month, $6,000 a, $6, a year, right? Mm-hmm. Which, again, you know, somebody, I always people don't put that into context. So when you're talking about early, it depends on what your goals and objectives are. I mean, yeah, if you're just got your first job coming out of school and you've got, you know, tremendous amount of bills and you, you can't save anything, well, I think you have to evaluate. Are you on a path where your earnings are going to be, you know, exploding because you took a sacrifice, uh, you went to a city, maybe you couldn't afford it completely, but the job earning power is amazing. And in 10 years, you will be able to save. Or you're in a situation where you're going, look, I can't really even afford what I'm doing. I hate my job. I don't see earnings power, you know, increasing dramatically and I'm not saving. Well, that's terrible. So again, I I don't mean to bunt on it, but it does depend on what that future looks like for a person, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah and I guess, look, it's very much related to happiness also. Like there's that famous Benjamin Franklin quote, uh, which I'll try to remember right now. Basically, if you- uh, uh, spend, you know, if you make a hundred dollars a year, but you spend a hundred and one dollars, then you're miserable. If you make a hundred dollars a year and you spend 99 happiness. Yeah. And so it's really that simple. And unfortunately, because of the way I feel marketing has happened for colleges and for education and, and look, it's, it's a, it's a very big thing to say, oh, you shouldn't go to college, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's like, oh no, I have to do that. The math has changed. People don't realize the math has changed over the years because the acceleration of debt has gone up much faster than inflation. It's going to college. Now is not the same as going in the 60s, 70s, 80s, or even 90s. You get into this unbelievable debt so quickly in a generational way. That's never happened before. Yeah. So, so like, oh, let's just start with that then with right now, specifically, let's say someone's 28 years old, 29 years old. They have student loan debt. They were doing fine, but now the pandemic happened. 50 million people are having difficulties. Maybe a lot of, you know, a lot of people forgot about their uh, rents and, you know, rent was postponed, but st- here's the thing. Like, I never would have been able to say, you know, back then, oh, here's four months of rent, by the way, here you go. You know, I would have just forgotten about it and everybody would have, these 30 million people are, are going to need to, you know, figure out four months of rent. What's going to happen with all these people?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know. The short answer is I I genuinely don't know. Uh, but I think people. The first thing they've got to do is communicate. I mean, if somebody's in a if somebody is listening and they're they're 30 days from being put out on the street, um, I mean, you're scrambling. So so you're you got to communicate. Again, the worst thing you can do is just go into a shell and not tell anybody. You you got to communicate uh, with that's your a really landlord. Good point. You got to communicate with your. You know, th- there's. If you notice on on your electric bill or your utility bill, uh, they don't. They no longer, at least in our in our state, they no longer have um, delinquency charges. So th- there's never been uh, national empathy for financial situation as we see today. It wasn't even, we didn't even have empathy uh, in 2008, 2009, like we do today. So the reality is, if you are in a situation where in 30 days, 45 days, 15 days, you're gonna be out on the street, um, you need to be letting your landlord know, you need to be communicating with your loved ones, you need to be honest with people around you. And there's a lot of, there. I mean, there's people who will help for sure. Yeah, and so, I,
0: think, I think proactively is better than, for for what you're saying now cuz and there's going to be a spectrum of of potential uh, solutions here but the first one is being proactive yes let's say let's say your landlord has 20 apartments in a building and 19 of them are scared to death and they might just either avoid the landlord or hope for an extension somehow or government stimulus but i think being proactive and coming up with some solutions is better than nothing.
2: That's right, and then here's the deal, you get after it. The bottom line is, if you are in this situation, I, I, if you are of able mind and body and you can physically get out there, my empathy level is very low. And the reality is, is because I have witnessed people firsthand get out there and get after it. And what I mean by that is, you've never been in a time period like we are today where you can work a a normal nine-to-five job, and then you can go do uh, Grubhub, DoorDash. You can do Uber, Lyft. You can deliver pizzas. They can't, in our town, Lexington, Kentucky, they can't get pizza drivers. They're dying for pizza drivers, delivery drivers. So the reality is, is that you can build margin in your budget, not just by cutting, which by the way, if you are in that situation and you haven't cut all of your, you know, ancillary services and your Netflix and your this, that, and the other, no disrespect to Netflix, but that's crazy. That's, I mean, you, you should be cutting everything. So, uh, once that's done, if you still don't have enough margin to get ahead and start tackling some of these debts, then ultimately you're going to have to make additional income. And we're in that environment where we can. And, and what I want to say is, well, I'll never forget. I had one of my best friends. He was in his mid thirties at the time, and he was he was uh, head. He's head of a, a very successful and well known nonprofit in our town, a Christian ministry organization. They do amazing things. He was head of this organization. It was a big budgeted organization but he couldn't get out of debt. He, he he didn't make a lot of money. And so he had to create margin. And so in, in his mid thirties, late thirties, a small child and his wife at home, he took a paper delivery route. And every morning at 3.30, he would be up rolling papers and him and his wife with his kid in the back seat would go around and deliver these papers. And he did this for like three and a half years. They paid off credit card debt. They paid off an auto debt and then he socked some money away he started buying up some rental properties now he has a dozen or so rental properties while he's still the head of this nonprofit organization so it can be done it absolutely can be done so i'm curious like let's say let's say you've got student loan debt
0: and you're just screwed like you're you're, you're unemployed right now because of this pandemic you don't know what you're going to do nobody's hiring you're maybe you live in some area where there's still a total lockdown, which is, you know, to some extent, most of the country or a big part of the country. What could, is there a way? And, and we'll get to all the kinds of debt, but is there a way you could just avoid paying your student loan debt right well, now? Well,
2: you call them up and you go on forbearance. So yes, you can. I mean, you you can go on and you can you can get them uh, you can get them basically put on hold while you are looking for a job, you're unemployed. So, so again, being proactive as opposed Absolutely. to just not Yeah, if you, you know, again, a lot of it is personal responsibility. And this is where we, in in our podcast, or why I wrote the book, was almost to just sort of challenge and motivate people. You you gotta get motivated to get after it. And I know it, what happens is it's Murphy's Law. You're gonna get motivated. You might hear this podcast. You might listen to our podcast and start getting fired up and saying, enough is enough. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna change. Boom tires are out on your car, HVAC's out, roof's gonna leak. Let me tell you something. It, it's almost like a battle and you are gonna get hit with an unexpected expense. Keep going, right? Just keep after it. You will start to make progress. And once you do, then the snowball will continue and you will get, you will go down the road and it'll change your life. But getting back to that individual, you can put those, you can put those, um, uh, student loans on hold. You, you can, you can call them up. You have to, you have to be proactive, call them up. And then look at your life. I mean, again, I mean, read your book, read, choose yourself. I mean, look at your life and say, okay, I'm, you said it. You said, what if somebody's just screwed? So you sit there and you go, I'm screwed. I I have insurmountable uh, student loan debt. Well, then you're going to have to look at your life and you're going to have to say, now's the time to pivot and consider another option. We work with a young man who six or eight weeks ago was making $12 an hour in a factory. He has no college degree. He went to truck driving school, and this coming year, he'll make $150,000 as a truck driver. Dramatic life change because he took uh, three or four weeks. He decided to go to truck driving school. It was sponsored, by the way. Somebody else helped. My wife and I helped to, to put him through truck driving school, and now he'll dramatically change his income level because he decided to to change his career. There are options out there. Google just released, what was it, $300 to take the uh, Google curriculum online. Yeah, that's
0: unbelievable. That they're going to now start looking at.
2: That's what I'm saying. So look at what you're doing. You might have to, uh, when my first business failed during college, uh, we started at .com. It was great for a while. Then it absolutely blew up. I had to go home. I had to move in. I mean, if you don't have the relationship with your family still, that's a shame. Maybe you have a you can couch surf for a while, but you might have to make some dramatic life changes to then start figuring out how to get ahead in life.
0: So, so let's say though, you you call up you 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 need some breathing room. Will they will will the government say okay, we're going to give you a few months to you know we we'll, we're not going to punish you too much, you know. T- you'll you'll be cool for a few months don't worry about it is there what happens like how can you
2: That's my understanding. Yeah, I mean you can call them up and you can say I'm I look I'm, I'm unemployed I put put these student loans in in forbearance for for the time being and and then you can be looking for a job. The reality is too and I I don't advocate this but if if this is you know if this is wrecking your life and you're you're looking at a, a, a student loan debt because you don't know, fixate it on that or your mortgage or whatever you you can, I mean if you can't pay it you can't pay it you got to buy groceries you got to buy groceries you got to buy diapers for the kids you got to buy diapers for the kids I mean there's some priority levels there with, for with, sure with
0: with student loans though you could get in trouble yes if they don't pay. yeah they
2: they could end up garnishing wages and ultimately Social Security and I I don't know for I mean I've
0: seen this too where they'll you know. I, I don't know if it's like they, you go to jail or I mean at some point if you just completely ignore them, they're gonna try yeah, to find I, you.
2: I definitely am not advocating for that. I I mean I'm definitely I'm I think you you've got it's like it's like your home or any other debt. You you can tackle it and but you've gotta start it, it's like any, you know, David Goggins, right? Starts with just one step. You you, you got to just start down the path. And the reality is if you stare at the mountain and you go, holy crap, I have 100,000 student loan, 25,000 in car, uh, 200,000 mortgage, I am not going to make it. This is what's happening. And so people get stuck psychologically. There's no way. Well, okay, let's take through the steps, right? Step number one, how about figuring out a way to simply sock away a thousand bucks. We call it fast cash, thousand bucks for an emergency. Because why do people get like this? They get like this because they live paycheck to paycheck and then something happens, life happens. Their car breaks down, the HVAC, the roof leaks. What do they do? They put it on a credit card or they go to Lowe's and Lowe's gives them a credit card at the store and, and then it just snowballs from there.
0: Looking for a rewarding, life-changing opportunity that enhances the lives of children in your community? Well, with almost 50 years of experience, Huntington Learning Center is the nation's leading K-12 tutoring and test prep franchise, dedicated to shaping brighter futures for both students and franchisees. Huntington is the top revenue-producing supplemental education franchise in the U.S., and their proven system is the key to success for you and your students. The Huntington Advantage includes low startup cost, turnkey systems, dedicated support teams, national and local marketing support, and multiple revenue streams to help you build a life-enriching and profitable business. No education experience needed. In today's environment, the need for tutoring has never been greater. When you become part of Huntington Learning Center, you're filling an urgent need in the growing $5 billion supplemental education industry. To learn more, Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com. Make a meaningful difference, pursue your dreams of business ownership, and be a positive force in your community. Don't wait. Visit HuntingtonFranchise.com today. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H I M S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science backed treatments for erectile dysfunction hair loss, weight loss and more. The entire process is 100% online so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use him for now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. Hymns.com slash James. That's how, I, how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs Hims. That's himscom slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. I'm gonna take an extreme, okay? So yes, in in a normal world, And even in a not normal world, everyone needs to figure out how to cut expenses, figure out how to you know adjust accordingly. But I'm going to go over everything and ask what you think of these ideas. So first off, let's take student loans for a second. And this is going to sound, everything I say is going to sound bad. (laughs) But let's say I have a job and for whatever reason, I could have my income, uh, I can start a company like a C-Corp. So it's, you know, the way a C corporation, uh, happens is, you know, there's a wall between my, uh, you know, private banking and private life and the C corporation. And when, if I get a job, I could have the job pay the C corp. And then maybe I have some small income so that as far as everyone can tell, that's what they see in terms of my income. So I can work out a deal to have my, uh, student loan debt, you know, I could pay it off longer or I could restructure it or something because it'll appear to whoever's looking that I'm just, uh, making a much smaller income than, than is possible.
2: So I would say two things. The first thing I would say is if this person who's setting this up is intelligent enough and goes through enough hoops to figure that out and set that up appropriately. Uh, they need to be looking for a different job that pays them more that allows them to pay off that student loan. I don't think most, most, Kids who are facing significant student loan debt are going to go through those hoops to set up a C corp uh, and and you know to avoid the the student loan debt they might uh, but I, I don't I don't I just don't see it happening um, so uh, you know again I, I think that that just is an extreme. I'm not an advocate for doing everything in their power to, to try to avoid it. I'm an advocate for, because we did pay off student loans. My wife had over 50,000 in student loan debt. We had two car uh, loans, we had credit cards, and we ultimately paid all those off with, with paying off a mortgage as well. So it is totally possible. Uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing I'll say is, um, when I first started in business, one of the things that we asked, we were asked by clients a lot is how to help uh, with Medicaid strategies, going into nursing homes. So we did a lot of, 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 of repositioning of assets, not anything illegal. At the time, you could, you could move money out of an individual's name. Uh, they could basically be shown in, as having zero assets. You could do it within a three-year look-back window so that if they went into the nursing home, then they could you know, pay for a couple months and then get on Medicaid, and it would protect the and shelter the assets for the family. Uh, very quickly, Uh, nursing homes and Medicaid wised up to this strategy and shut it down. And Mm -hmm. so they extended the look back period for transferring assets. And in addition to that, they put in language that said, basically, if we have realized you've positioned assets out of somebody's name to avoid paying for long-term care expenses, we're going to get it. My point is, is that once, if that were to happen and maybe you get first mover advantage, but if this becomes a, a, a widely used tactic, uh, the government's going to shut it down, in but, my personal opinion. So so
0: essentially, they'll realize one way or the other. Yeah. And you can't get away with it.
2: Well, p- people used to take credit cards, uh, cash advance on their credit cards to pay off student loan debt and then declare bankruptcy because they could do bankruptcy and they would lose their credit card debt uh, and they would... Not once you declare bankruptcy, you cannot lose student loan debt. My understanding is that's all been sort of shut yeah, down. Yeah, you can't. You, you can't, can't do that anymore.
0: Bankruptcy is the one; nothing can prevent the student loan debt. Like correct, everything else goes away when you declare bankruptcy. I don't know when that happened. I know uh, I've had family members who declared bankruptcy to avoid student loan debt, but that is no matter what. Now, even if you declare bankruptcy, you still have to pay. The only thing I could I get is that if you're having a trouble. Uh, paying off your loans, it's like you said, you you can do some sort of forbearance over some amount of time. But I'm thinking of even more extreme, like in this period, can you just not do it and survive somehow? But, you know, and the other thing is maybe the government will provide some relief, but I don't think that will happen.
2: Well, I'm going to be very clear. Says so I'm not a debt counselor. It's not what we do. We are working, and and our podcast is directed towards people who are looking to maybe pay off debt, maybe not pay off debt, create wealth, set themselves up for the future, but ultimately get a hold of their finances and start at an earlier age, making wise decisions for those finances so that they can be much better off in the future. One of the things is we started this podcast a couple of years ago with truly the idea and passion of of taking what was an unscalable method to reach people and trying to turn it into a scalable solution. And it's worked very well. Now with the pandemic, whether you lost a job or not, I don't care who you are, you woke up to the fact that everything can go away like that. And, and I saw people who were professionals who would normal normally have incredible job security lose their jobs overnight because a clinic was shut down. They were a nurse or some kind of PA and they lost their job. And the reality is, is that everybody across the United States of America woke up and said, holy cow, I don't have an emergency fund. I don't have money stocked, stocked away. I don't have this. And so the reality is, yes, I, 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 there's a lot of people who are just looking at the next 15 and 30 days, but there's a lot more people that have woken up to the fact right now that if they lost their job tomorrow or this came back, they might've been making $150,000. They're not gonna be able to stay in their house for six months. So our message is really geared towards people who, you know, again, maybe they're just starting out. Maybe they do have insurmountable student loan debt. But I think if you're in a situation where you're 15, 30, 45 days from being kicked out and homeless, I think you've got to, you know, you've got to talk to a debt counselor. You've got to really ca- talk to, you know, some folks that are going to look and be able to help with, you know, uh, uh, declaring bankruptcy and, you know, et cetera. I mean, and that's just, that's not us. Our, our message is a little bit different. So, okay,
0: let, but but that's interesting too. Like, let's say, let's say, um, you know, Everything's going wrong. The shit hit the fan. You know this pandemic happened. You lost your job. You have this mortgage. So here's here's another thing that maybe is a solution that people don't always think about. And I'm curious what you think. Okay, you made a mistake, or you didn't take into account the one in a million chance that you're gonna uh, a pandemic and the economy is gonna shut down. Maybe you should just not pay your mortgage. Like so, yes, you have a mortgage payment every month, and it's it's you know, it's not normal to not pay for it, but it also takes a bank quite a bit of time to evict, you know, to take over your house. The bank doesn't necessarily want to take over everybody's house. There's a lot of people who are not paying their mortgage now. In fact, there was there's mortgage relief, there's rent, uh, renting relief. So maybe if someone's trying, they don't have the savings, you know, the average American had $400 in savings in before this pandemic even shut. So imagine now, maybe they should just not pay their mortgage for- yeah six months, 12 months, and try to, you know, either wait for eviction and you'll lose your credit score, but that's part of the contract that you signed, is that they're allowed to take over your house, but you're allowed to not, you're allowed to wait for a while. And, you know, it's a different strategy. It's not necessarily the one anybody has to go through, but I'm, I'm wondering if they, they need food to eat, they don't have a place to stay, they could stay in their house, not pay their mortgage payments, And it's still going to take a while for the bank to evict you. Like it might take a year or 18 months.
2: Yeah, I think nobody, well, again, nobody really wants to lose their home. So I would say that the first step would be calling their mortgage lender, calling the mortgage lender and saying, look, we can't make the mortgage payment and you're right no banks in the united states especially after 08 and 09, want to take a bunch of residential r- real estate onto their balance sheet again they they just don't want to do that
0: but are they are they like a lot of banks they've already like sold off these rents you know sometimes they even sell off the rent to one hedge fund i mean the the mortgage to one hedge fund but the interest rates to another hedge fund and they're just there to to do the debt collection you know the you know servicing the debt so can can is there anyone to call or should i just wait for someone to sue me and you know, and that which is legal—that's the contract I signed. If I'm—I right. I either pay the the mortgage or I lose. It's not even an ethical thing. The contract is available for both sides. It's yep. just they could take it, but it's it allows you to kind of get yourself back together if it takes 12 to 18 months for them to actually evict you. So
2: you're going to call who's servicing the mortgage. So it could have been sold to Fannie or Freddie, and in that particular situation, if it was sold to the government. Uh, you're going to actually he- even have better uh, uh, negotiation tactics to be able to defer your payments and stay in your home. But the reality is you may have to look at your home and say, I got to sell this. I have to put it up on the market right now. But right now, nobody might be buying. Believe it or not, they are. Home sales are ridiculously hot right now. That's crazy, but it is. I mean, people are houses are being sold left and right. I, I it's. I mean, we just had one of the hottest home sales numbers just recently, uh, mm. a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know how long that will last, but that might be a reality is you might have to say, okay, we can't pay this. Um, what are we going to do? You're going to call whoever's servicing your mortgage. You're going to let them know. You're going to ask them very specifically, what programs do you have right now that gives us time to get back on our feet? What what programs do you have? And and again, discuss it. If you, I, I just, I've seen it before. If you go into the hole, and, I, and I'm, I, you, you have unique strategies you're, you're proposing, but it will follow people. It will, it will, whether they, you know, if worse comes to worse, and you can't pay for groceries. And you're staring and you've got $750 left in your account and you're looking at either paying your mortgage payment or buying groceries for your family, you're buying groceries for your family. I mean, that's 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 not even close. But the reality is don't just shove that that bill into a drawer and pretend like it's not there. And a lot of people do that. They throw their credit card into the drawer, they throw their bill into the drawer, they don't look at anything. And you gotta take ownership. I mean, take ownership. So the reality is pick up the phone, have a conversation, and I will share this. Find someone in your life that you can talk to, someone that, you, not all your friends are broke. If they are, you might wanna look around and go, maybe I need new friends, right? So find someone in your life, maybe it's someone older, maybe it's not, and confide in them. We have a pandemic in our country, it's interesting. We talked a lot about this last night at dinner. My wife and I, we, we go to a large Christian church and Christians around the country, we'll talk about everything. We'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about pornography, we'll talk about uh, you know, marital problems, we'll talk about this, that, and the other. Nobody will talk about their checkbook. Nobody will talk about their debt situation. So the reality is you may have to confide in somebody and say, I'm 30 days away from losing my home. What do I do? And, and have somebody that can help and look and look at everything you're doing and help you down that road. That may be what you need to do. All right, because
0: it's true because I remember a few times when, so one, in 2001, 2002, I owned an apartment in New York. Another time I owned a place upstate and I was going broke and I had, you're right. I had nobody to talk to. I had no friends to talk to. And what I did was my strategy is what I just described was I just stopped paying the the mortgage and the bank was calling every day. So that's stressful, but I just wouldn't pay. I had my house for sale in both cases. And, you know, I just said, okay, I'm not going to pay. The interest is going to go up. I'm going to owe interest in months and I'll just deduct that from whatever I'm paid if I sell this place or I'll just get evicted cause there was nothing I could do. Like you said, I had to afford having, you know, family and kids to raise and responsibilities, but you're right. Maybe an alternative for me should have been to kind of work something out because nobody, none of these banks want nothing. They'd rather have something than nothing. Right. And I think the biggest lesson here in these critical situations is being proactive before anyone else is. like, let's say you're the IRS. A lot of, everybody's an IRS debt right now. Okay. We, we, everybody lost their jobs in January. That's what they even postponed tax day, two months. They had tax day though, even though the country still hasn't opened up yet, which means everybody's even worse off now than in April. And the one thing I know is on the IRS side, better to work out a deal on your debt than not. Let's say you owe I'm just going to make it up. Let's say you owe $30,000 to the IRS, you know, still better to ignore them. You can call up the IRS and what what sort of deals could you, could you do there? Let's say you have that debt and you file, but you just can't afford to pay anything. Yeah,
2: again, it's communication. I mean, th- it's an interesting area that we've landed on, but it, it is so true. Um, you call them up and you have a conversation and they're going to ask you, you know, uh, they're going to get all your information I mean, they, know they have all your returns anyways, they know what you make, they know what you did make, they know, you know, your situation and you're going to go into a, uh, a mediation to discuss what your payment terms are going to be. And that is, th- that's true with anything. It doesn't matter whether it's your landlord, uh, your auto loan, your, your mortgage communicate. If you are going into a shell you're stuck. And, and you're right. It will only compound itself. They're going to keep calling. They're going to come after you. And if they're the IRS, you could go to jail. I mean, that's the reality. You could go to jail. And so, it's communicating and getting at getting out there, having that conversation. And I think that if you're scared to have that conversation, uh, I, that's pro- I probably feel terrible for that person. Because if they can't confide in their spouse or confide in a friend, then yeah, I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. And I, I think having somebody to talk to and to
0: communicate with could help reduce the stress. You can't hold it all in yourself. And I mean, and again, I know we're, we started off discussing kind of like, okay, here's what you should do in general in life and, 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 and have the discipline to do this. But right now there's sort of this unusual time where suddenly everyone's stuck with the, at the same, with all of the problems at the same time, IRS debt credit card debt, student loan debt, mortgage debt, and they're all experiencing it at the same time with no, and they just don't know that there's, they don't know that there's no solution. They just feel screwed. Right, And it's not even people's fault necessarily because who would expect a, a, one, a once in 100 years, everybody's forced to, you know, have a lockdown. Yeah. So it was
2: not planned for. And there's And there's a lot of people who, there's still a lot of people who are working. I mean, there's a lot of jobs. There's a lot of folks out there that are working. And what's even more tragic is if you're not adjusting your lifestyle and, and starting on a financial uh, path of prudence, and you've witnessed all this. So again, if the person's already in this situation, we talked about it, communication, discussing uh, their situation with others, having a plan of action. But if you're not in that situation, if you're, you know, there's millions, of 70% of the United States is still employed. So there's millions of people that are employed. But if you're, if you're not yet living within a budget, saving, you know, having an emergency fund, we used to advocate three months now, I, I mean, six months, I think a six month emergency fund is, is a given, uh, because nobody knows when they're going to lose a job. It could come out of the blue.
0: So, so let me ask you that. So let's say, so even forgetting about savings, cause this is a little different than savings. Uh, savings is something that, uh, you, you build up, you compound it and then, you know, you know, later on you can retire because you have enough money saved. This could help you for the rest of your life. But separately from that, there's the emergency fund. So people will say, okay, you always have to have six months saved just in case you're fired. It takes about six months or it takes even, maybe even more than six months to get a new job, but six months gets you time to, you know, switch your circumstances, you know, downsize, stop paying, you know, for a second car or whatever. So six months, I think that's the right number. Do you, do you say some people say three months? Some people say a year. I agree with you. Six months is
2: probably like, even when I was younger, I would try to have six months. Then I didn't save beyond that though. Yeah. So we, we kind of fall into categories. So people, let's say somebody has a job. We, we, again, we advocate having a thousand dollar fast cash. That's just for, that's for out of pocket emergencies. So just the other day, we had to put two tires on a car. It was 400 and some odd, some odd dollars. And I, I, have a thousand dollar fast cash and I just paid for it I didn't dip into the emergency fund I didn't you know I just paid it out of that it was fine moving on it's a hassle but it's a, you know it's fine Th- that then emergency fund and if you have a lot of ancillary debt I would start with with at least three months so what I mean by ancillary debt is let's say you have store cards we've got I call all debt is crap debt you just have you know real crap and less crap and so people are like well what's good debt I don't think there's a good debt I don't care what the interest rate is you're you're slave to you're you're paying some for something as opposed to you keeping the money and earning, earning money. So in my opinion, all, all debt is bad debt. Uh, the reality though is you've got store, store cards and credit cards, the ultimate crap then you have auto loans and student loans and then ultimately mortgage. So if you have a tremendous amount of, of store cards and credit cards, I think having a three-month emergency fund, and it's just as simple as saying, what are my expenses for three months? And if you don't know that, then you got to start even back you know, before that and be tracking your expenses, building a budget, et cetera. Three months in a, in a savings account, not invested. People say, well, where should I invest that? No, in a savings account. You're not going to earn interest. It doesn't matter. It's an emergency fund. Then you start tackling your store cards, your credit cards. Now, if you have, this is a big, I think this is a biggie. If you have a retirement plan at work and they're matching, I, I think you should be contributing to that and matching before you're doing any of this. Because if not, you're literally leaving money on the table. But, you know, that that's that's kind of up in the air. People are like, well, I can't afford it. I really have to pay this off. Again, it's a kind of a personal situation a personal decision. But I do think you should take advantage of that match. Ultimately then, Credit card, store card, auto loan, gone. And depending upon where your student loan falls, you know, again, if it's twenty to forty thousand, you should work to pay it off. If it's hundred thousand, you're going to just have to put it in the monthly cash flow and factor it into your long term, you know, bill paying, just like you would your mortgage, for sure.
0: What about uh, some strat Like, let's say I borrowed money. Let's say I'm I, I graduated college six, seven years ago. I'm paying back this enormous amount. I'm trying to start a business or whatever. Uh, maybe I call and try to get some postponement from, you know, the government. Is there a way I could borrow? Let's say interest rates get lower as they are now. Like interest rates are almost zero uh, according to the federal reserve. Should I refinance and try to borrow money elsewhere, pay back the student loan debt, but owe money now to the bank and pay lower interest rate? Or is there any way to kind yeah, of course. Cut, cut a corner yeah. somewhere? I mean,
2: again, now, fast forward. So now you're talking about somebody who's, let's say they're in their mid thirties. We, we look at this all the time. This is why, again, we take calls from people on our podcast and we answer those calls and we give our two cents. And a lot of those calls are just what you're talking about, strategies. So now let's say somebody's been in a home Right? They've they've got a mortgage. The rates are super low. They've got some equity there. Let's say they've been building up a 401k. There's a variety of places that if they're sitting there looking at a student loan that could be six, 7%, which is totally you know a, a, a super sky high interest rate right now for debt, as opposed to credit cards, which are still you know 12 to 15, but let's say the 7%, but they could do a refi, cash out refi on their home and take money out of that at 3% and pay that off. That's probably a wise decision. Or, and this would be a worst case scenario, but depending on the company, they might be able to do a borrow from their 401k at a, at a significantly low interest rate, pay that back through their payroll deductions and knock that student loan out. There is some strategic maneuvering, but I would say this, you're only pursuing that if you've been disciplined enough to start down the path of being able to pay all these things with a plan of attack going forward.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think no matter what, if you're having a problem, you need to change strategies. And I'm even speaking for my... Spe- and this doesn't matter how much money you make. This doesn't matter how much money you have. My accountant tells me all the time, because on tax day, I'm always a mess and have to figure out like, how much did I make? And cause you know, you know, sometimes if you, there's been some years where I make no money, some years where I make good amount of money, but I'm always kind of clueless. And my accountant always says, James, why don't you just set aside money? So no matter what, we can at least file, you pay something, we, you know, then we figure it out. So it doesn't look like, you know, you don't get into a problem, but every, and I always say, Oh, I'm definitely going to do that. And then I always never, So do why that.
2: don't you do that?
0: Well, I always sort of figure, you know, I'm going to invest and in startups or in myself. And then, okay, I'll have I'll, put, I'll file, but I'll pay pen penalties with the IRS, but it won't, the percentage of penalty is not going to be as great as what I could potentially make starting businesses or whatever. So again, I get into debt, but I, you know, I play around a little bit. Not yeah. I'm always filing on time. I'm not trying to break any, you know, I'm not trying to disappoint anybody, but, and it's the same thing with the house. I'd rather, uh, there, there are, I feel like, well, let me ask you this. Do you feel there's any situation where you should simply just stop paying your mortgage and just abandon your house.
2: <laughs> there was uh, there was one couple uh, that I know quite well, and they, during 2008, 2009, were in a terrible financial situation, and they had a horrible, horrible mortgage, meaning it was one of these teaser loans with a kicker on the back end, and it yeah. was an adjustable rate, and yada, yada. Yeah, they scammed yada. everyone with that. It was horrible. And that was the only situation where I looked at them and I said, if I were in your shoes, I would... Turn the keys into the bank, and I would walk away, and I would I would start again. You will be seven to eight years to repair your credit, um, but I would not. Which is
0: fine because don't don't get a credit card. Right. You know, I, you, people yes. always think, oh, I could live or die on my credit card. There's a lot of things. You, you, there's only very few situations where your credit score matters. Well, You're but buying these, a car. You know, these if folks
2: wanted to buy a house again at some point down the line. They didn't, you know, they ultimately didn't do it. They didn't, they didn't take that advice. They actually stayed in the home. They I don't know how it's worked out. We have not communicated in detail about that. But well, that's the only situation because there, to my my vantage point, there was literally nothing that could be done to salvage that debt and that value of that home. But why should they give the keys to the bank? Why can't
0: they because again, in order for the bank to really kick you out, they have to, it's a legal thing. It usually takes like 12, anywhere between six to 18 months or longer. And I know that sounds unfair to the bank, but that's kind of part of the, con- it's not like borrowing from a friend where it is, I do consider it is unethical to be positive, you know, communicate with your friend and tell them the problem and eventually pay them back and, and so on. This is a contract you have with the bank the contract specifically mentions what happens if you don't pay. So it's not like it's against the law. It's just against, and it's not like it's unethical. It's just, a, you know, you're taking one path in the contract as opposed to another. Why have them uh, turn in their keys? Why not just wait to get evicted?
2: Um, and I know I, it sounds yeah. crazy. Well, so somebody it, could do that. I mean, I wouldn't advocate that. I think there's, you know, I I, I couldn't do that personally. I, I, I guess it. somebody somebody could. I, I couldn't. Um, I would try desperately to pay it, or I would just you know, say here, I can't pay it. The house is yeah. yours and walk away. Um, I would, I would really try to honor my end. Uh, and sometimes, you know what, in, in life, I have tried to honor things and I, I you know, it ends up biting me in the backside and that's okay. I no, mean, And, it, I, and it's I appreciate okay.
0: that. Like, like, and it, and there's a spectrum and there's a, a gray area there. Like for instance, it's not like, oh, I should do something bad and nobody will know that's different. This is like, you have a contract with the bank. And I'm following the contract of the bank. And it's, I'm just, instead of me giving them the keys, I'm just saying, Hey bank, you enforce the contract we signed. I'm not going to help you out here. This is the, con- it's still validating the contract. I'm not going against the contract. I'm, it's just now up to you to enforce what's happening.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess somebody could do that again. I, I personally wouldn't advocate for that. I think, I think, uh, you you continue to fight and you continue to get after it and you try to try your best to honor. I, I think there's a, maybe it's karma. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's, um you know, uh, some spiritual things about it, but I would try to honor the contract. Yeah, I would.
0: I, and I agree with you. I just feel like, like in times like 2008, which, which we brought up or 2009, I feel like so many people got scammed. Yes. That it, it's, they need, you know, and everybody bailed out the banks, which I wasn't necessarily against. Like you kind of have to keep the banks alive so so the economy doesn't collapse as opposed to the great depression. But the people who, who were really suffering and, and miserable and suicidal, no one was helping them. And I think they didn't realize they could just stop worrying about that for six months even. Just get your life together, emotionally get your family feed your family find a better job or, or or figure out a strategy a discipline for saving money better and paying this off but ignore the bank for six months or tell them you're i'm going to ignore you for six months and then pay
2: whatever so let extra. me you, you alluded to you did that yeah so psychologically was that helpful when you stopped no it, i was miserable so it didn't work
0: it didn't work except for the fact that i didn't think about Paying the bank for a few months until I.
2: But you had terrible thoughts at that time, if I, I remember was, yeah. from your writings. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Had, no,
0: I was miserable. But but I think I was probably less miserable than going broke during that time, which I would have had to have done if I had paid the bank during those moments. The, I, everything the bank and and everybody.
2: I guess I'm an you know I'm an optimist and I'm a I'm a fighter and I have. You know, much like yourself, I have experienced success and many failures. And each time I have failed, I have decided I am going to pick myself up and I'm going to get after it again. And regardless of what's going on in this country, it's still one of the greatest countries in the world to be able to make a living and improve your personal situation. So if somebody's facing that, I personally believe that if they are are kind of stop paying and I'm gonna just not pay and let them deal with it, they've kind of taken a different mindset and their psychology is gonna be wrong and it's gonna be very difficult for them to be opportunistic in other areas.
0: Yeah, I agree. I wish in retrospect that I just had a little bit more support emotionally at this time, whether it was confiding in family or friends or even seeing a therapist or taking medication. You know, it's okay to take, to do something about anxiety, whether whether it's medication that is made specifically for anti-anxiety or doing something else that cures anxiety. I think that was hurting me also. So I wasn't making rational decisions. Let's take another example though. Let's say, you know, going into March, economy's going down, everybody's laid off from their jobs. You have, you have credit card debt this is another example where I kind of tell people, hey, just don't pay for a while. And the reason I say that is I've been on the other side, meaning uh, completely on, this, uh, on the other side, meaning I've invested in in consumer debt. So you could buy, the bank after 90 days, they just sell all the credit card debt they have and they figure these guys are not and uh, never paying. I'm just going to sell, uh, uh, you know, every dollar worth of debt I'm going to sell for, three cents on the dollar. So I'll sell a million dollars worth of debt for 300000 or $30,000. That's what a bank will say. I'll sell it to some hedge fund. I'll write it down to $30,000. It just is what it is. And then the hedge funds, they try to collect, but you could, you could then work out a deal with them and only pay 10 cents on the dollar or 6 cents on the dollar. Now your credit score will go down, but that's also a viable solution, which is perfectly legal, but it is again, a little bit gray.
2: Yeah, again, I think your first your first course of action is a phone call and, and a conversation with your credit card company and saying, look, I need a couple months uh, to be on hold here. I lost my job, et cetera. Um, I, I, I don't, it, there's just not going to be a situation unless someone literally, I mean, if, it's, if they're staring at supporting their family with food and sustenance as opposed to a bill is the only time personally I'm going to say just don't pay it. But always, I'm going to say, have that phone call first. I mean, people, you're still dealing with human beings. Uh, And and I, I thought it was hysterical. I had a charge um, on a card that I use, I, I don't use a lot of credit cards, but I do the points at sometimes and I get points and so forth. And I'm not very good at that game, but, um, I got a, I got a card charged like $125. And I was like, Oh, I forgot to that's my problem. I forget to cancel these things. And so I called them up and I said, uh, I want to go ahead and cancel this card. And they said, well, why do you want to do that? I said, well, I, and I, I'm always honest. I said, well, I, I used it for the points because I wanted the special bonus and we were buying some furniture, yada, yada. And I forgot to cancel and you just dinged me with $125. And so what did they say? Oh, well, would you be okay if we issued you $125 credit for you to keep the card? And I said, yeah, sure, of course, no problem. So they issued $125 credit. So there goes the fee and I'll cancel it in two months. And this time I'll remember. But my point is, I'm you've got to call and have a conversation. It's almost like if you don't have that call, you go to another department. And when you get in that other department, the people are different. They come in and they're coming after you. Those phone calls are no longer nice. So if you are struggling and you are, you know, dealing with these bills and you've got challenges in your work and you're stressed out at home, and compound that with the fact that you're getting 17 phone calls a day from debt collectors, that's terrible.
0: No, you're right. And what what do you think it is? Like again, I there's a lot of psychology here as opposed to uh, just money management. It's like what you're basically saying is, okay, I have a plan work on savings. Now we'll discuss that in a second, but, and then there's this whole psychological component. And I kind of think I've never really trusted this system, never really trusted the banks to be, you know, to treat me fail, you know, fail, fairly. I've never really trusted, uh, you know, the banks that deal with me fairly on mortgages or never really trusted the, I do trust the IRS because I do feel, if you call the IRS, it's so much better than them calling you. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. There's all the, the the spectrum of possibilities is, is just opens up an entire world when you are proactive there. But in general, I try to figure out. I try to. I take the view that no one's going to help me, and I need to figure this out. And sometimes I need to ignore it so I can do something else with my life. And so I probably need to work on that. But the other thing is, uh, when you know when should you stop saving because well in, under what circumstances like i agree have the emergency fund just in case the unexpected happens but when should you not sage because, save because stay save because you're going to earn more and what well, every dollar you save now will be meaningless, like three, four, ten years from now.
2: Well, I don't understand that argument. I, I or I don't understand that. I don't explain what you mean because I'm I am a high earner. I have yeah. a successful business, but I save every month. So I don't understand. Are you saying that I could reinvest my savings and make more on my money? Yeah. Like or? let's say let's say
0: when I was twenty eight, I just made it a point to put money in my four hundred one k every month, and they would match it and whatever. And so, become every month, I would sell. I would save seven dollars or a thousand dollars. By the time I was forty, saving a thousand dollars or 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 a month didn't make any sense either. I was broke when I was forty, or I was saving like hundreds of thousands or millions because I was, you know, so my. The numbers are different. The the measurement is different. But
2: that's because you were an entrepreneur and you started a business. And when I was starting my business, I could not save. My friends were getting jobs, Wall Street, investment bank, firms. They were working. They were putting money, deferred comp, 401ks, et cetera. I had to pour every dime I could into business and pay bills and try to get out of debt. So early on, I was not saving. There was no savings to be had. So fast forward, now the business is successful. I have discretionary income. I have no debt and I'm saving a lot. So I understand from that perspective, if you have started a business or you're an entrepreneur and you can't save, that that's fine. But if you were, if you stayed at HBO forever and you continued in corporate world and you were saving $1,000 a month, you're how old now? You told me 50, 50? 52. You're 52, so 28 to 52, you you would, almost, I mean, you'd have several millions of dollars in inside your 401k right now available to you at retirement right. if you wanted to. Right?
0: No, I, I I see. So so in and what I guess I I guess I don't trust even the model of saying staying at a safe sacred at the same job for so long because so many people lost their jobs. Like so many people realized that it, it was not stable. The biggest risk they had was taking. A uh, stable job. So I guess I think more int- entrepreneurially for people even right now. But here's another question: What about when interest rates are so low? It's better to borrow than to save. So, yeah. so like buying a house. Maybe I'm not going to buy a house when it's there's a 15% mortgage. But if there's a 2% mortgage, maybe that is the right way to uh, you know buy a house because the if if, if interest rates are at two percent. That's a way to stimulate the economy. The house is going to go up in value. Everybody's going to start buying houses. So might as well borrow as much as I can when it's 2%. Uh, the value of the house is going to go up faster than that.
2: Until you lose your job. Until I use my job, yeah. So, so I, in 2019, so f- f- about 2016 or 17, my wife and I uh, realized a dream that we'd had for a long time, which was to pay off debt. Now, I, I want to share with you, James, that very quickly, just... A lot of my aversion to debt comes from what I have seen in my family. Um, my father had to declare bankruptcy. Um, D- ditto for me as well. M- his father, uh, my grandfather basically died penniless. My
0: D- Ditto for me.
2: You're from mo- the Bronx? <laughs> my the my mother's father, who was uh, a very successful radio personality in Buffalo, New York. They actually owned a private island in the Bahamas when she was growing up he died penniless. I have a long line of folks in my my family that have made tremendous amount of monies and, and lost it all. So I have a healthy, un I should say a very unhealthy aversion to debt. I realized that. In 16 or 17, my wife and I realized a dream and paid off our mortgage. Um, of our dream home as well, so it's not like you know. It was a beautiful. It's a beautiful home. We we've invested great greatly in our home. We love to invest in travel. Uh, I I buy jeans from Walmart, right? So I, I'm different in weird ways. But anyways, in 2019, when the market was up 20 some percent, you know I'm in the investment business, right? So I'm I manage money for a living. Uh, we I have money invested, retirement funds, et cetera. And I thought to myself for the first time, I, I've known this I've known the math for a long time, but at the end of 2019, I went, "Wow, that hurt. That hurt that I didn't have a mortgage at three percent and compounding my money at 25, right? That one hurt. Fast forward. I can't tell you the number of times in March, April, and May of 2020 when I was sitting in the kitchen putting groceries away or whatever, and I looked at my wife and I said, I am so glad we do not have a mortgage. My entire livelihood, my business, is is dedicated to the markets. The markets were in free fall. We didn't know if the economy was going to ever reopen. Remember the debt markets in two, in March of two thousand? I mean, we watched credit, uh, you know, corporate high quality corporate debt absolutely falling apart. I was thinking this biz- I wouldn't have a business. My clients would need their money. I would be out of business. I I thanked the Lord. And I was so pleased that we didn't have debt. So again, yes, there's this, the math when it comes to, and I t- people all the time, they're like, well, what do you feel about mortgage debt? You know, I'm making good money. Not, and I said, well, there's mathematics and the math will say, borrow as much as you can and don't pay it off. Never pay it off. I said, then there's psychology and the psychology, when you lay your head on the pillow at night, if you are 100% secure that if you lost your job, if the economy didn't reopen or whatever happened. And prior to this year, I would say that to people and they'd be like, Quint, come on, you're crazy. But I was 10 years old in 1987 when the stock market crashed and we went from having lobster. We were in Maui the year before as a family because my father was a broker. And that fall of that year, we bought our coats from Salvation Army. I was a product of watching what the stock market could do and how could it change your life immediately.
0: Were you scared when your parents suddenly didn't have the same life and lifestyle
2: that you thought was just normal everyday lifestyle? So fear, I don't think I could say it was fear, but it was a realization that, wow, uh, this can go very quickly. My mother was a saint. She had been with my father. They are unfortunately divorced now, but they, at the time, she had been a broker's wife since the early 70s. So she was very accustomed to these ups and downs. Um, This was news to me. I mean, this was was brand new for me, but it always stuck with me. And that's why fast forward to 2000, when I started building my business, I had no aversion to the fact that this market could continue to plummet, you know, all through 9-11. When 08 and 09 hit, I mean, we built our business through that time period because uh, we did very well through that time period. Uh, And then again, I've always kind of been that guy in the room that goes, yeah, but what if? You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? I'm not the black swan guy, but then fast forward now, I don't know a single person who isn't walking around going, Holy crap, anything can happen, right? So, again, being prudent with your resources, being prudent with your budget and and making sure you're on the right path to 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 ward off these financial difficulties is so critical right now.
0: It's interesting because I think we sort of aim at the we ended up at the same place but in completely psychologically different ways, which is interesting to know, which is that for instance, I've never had in my entire life, I've never had a credit card. So I've never been in any credit card debt ever. And it's not because, you know, I wanted to avoid that kind of debt. It's simply because I'm so bad at paperwork. I've never even applied to get a credit card. The problem with not, never having a credit card is that my credit score looks weird to people who've seen someone who's never, like, apparently everybody in the United States, I guess, has a credit card. So every time I like rent a different place, they always want to meet me like the whole condo board or whatever, like who never has had a credit card. They've never seen anything like that. So the fact that I am the one person who's never been in credit card debt, I, that almost causes me more problem. They ask for more money upfront because they think there's something wrong with me. So I've had that almost that extreme. Uh, and, but I've been lucky with that because I, because uh, I probably would have had too much debt and whatever, but housing because I've had problems with mortgage debt before. I think that's why I don't even like to rent a place anymore. Like I, for years I just lived in Airbnb. So I didn't even have to deal with renting a place. I would just live from Airbnb to Airbnb. It seemed like too, too much hassle to rent uh, and to have a, a year long commitment, even though I would still pay the same amount over a year or maybe more. I was just afraid of any kind of loan or, you know, commitment or anything. And so, and then student loan debt, I paid for that, but it was a different thing back in the nineties than it is now. And I sort of avoided most of the problems, but it was for all psychologically different reasons. Just I was afraid of debt rather than being very organized.
2: Yeah. Well, you, you're interesting in that you have Built a brand, you have the ability to monetize that brand, make money. You you probably you know go through periods where you make vast amounts of money, and then you don't. You know whatever. Most people are not like that. I mean, most people have a job. They get a they get W two income. They get paid every two weeks if if they have a job. If they're lucky enough to have a job. And I share with people that the the reality is they need to treat their home like a business. They, they really do. In fact, we go so far in, in the book I discuss how you you have to decide who the CFO is of the marriage if you're married. Um and and uh, sometimes, sometimes, you know, again, I'm just speaking in the context of a man and woman, I know, you know, different marriages, different relationships is fine, but sometimes the 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 woman is more of the CFO and the man is not. I think that's definitely
0: true. Almost every couple I've ever talked to.
2: Well, whoever is the CFO has to take on that role, and they have to own it. And the other person, the spouse, has to support that person. So in my family, I mean, I'm the numbers guy. I'm the CFO. My wife is such a wonderful support. She hates it. She cannot stand it. It's one of these things over the years I'm like, honey, did you? Do you have the receipts that you, when you went to the store? And she's like, "Yes, honey, I have the receipts. Here you go." You know, and but she does it. She appeases me. It works out wonderfully. But I share with people: imagine going in to your job, sitting down with your boss, and saying, "You know, I've been here for a while. Um, I'd like to get a raise. Consider, you know, be considered for a raise." Well, you know, not sure if it's in the budget, but you know, we'll let you know. Oh yeah, okay, no problem. So when you do the budget, you know. The, Well, no, it's not when we do the budget, we don't actually have a budget. We don't really, you know, when money comes in, we just kind of pay bills and we hope there's enough money. What would that person do? You would leave, you would update your resume, get on LinkedIn, you'd be like, I'm out of here. This business is not going to last. But yet we don't operate our homes in that same manner. We we go into our homes and we're like, oh, well, money came in and now we're just spending it. And we don't have any, you know, idea of what comes in, where it goes, what the goals, what the objectives are. And yet we hold a business where we work, our employer, to a totally different standard. If people adopted the same mentality that small businesses or successful businesses, I should say, adopt with their finances, then they'd be better off. But we just don't do that in our in our personal lives. And, and do you ever factor in,
0: like, let's say there's inflation and the Federal Reserve said today, for instance, I don't necessarily believe them, but they said they're going to try to create much more inflation in the U.S. because right now we're in this deflationary period, which They haven't been very successful at avoiding, so they're going to do whatever it takes to have inflation, which means you kind of want to borrow because the dollars are going to be worth less, so you'll be making more ostensibly later, and it'll be easier to pay down your debt. So I just wonder, when do you kind of say, okay, I used to be uh, uh, serious about paying back all my debt, but now I'm just going to pay the minimum because kind of macroeconomically, things are happening that makes it better to pay... Pay the minimum per month than to have no debt at all. Like you have no debt at all, right, with your house because you pay back the mortgage uh, debt. But sometimes it's good to have to pay the minimum when the entire economy is being set up to encourage you to have a little bit of debt at low interest rates. I would say
2: most people would probably agree with you. Most people would agree, macroeconomics aside, they would agree just purely with the mathematics of low interest rate debt versus high interest savings and so forth um i have a psychological aversion to that it, it is embedded in me it is a pro i had a very successful uh business mentor of mine say you know quint you're probably holding yourself back with with this because i didn't you know even our office building we bought you know little little debt you know put cash in it to to re- redo the building and so forth and and he said you're probably you know holding yourself back from some from some success and that's okay, I guess. I mean, I'm okay with that. You know, it is. It is what it is. So, no, but you
0: make a good point, though, that a lot of this is psychological, and I think that's important. It can't be no question ignored. I think it's it's the Benjamin Franklin quote: "If you just spend less than you make, you're going to be happy." Well, and it's a little easier to do that if early on as fast as possible, you have no debt. Cause that's still spending you know, all those interest payments are spending. So it's a different kind of psychology. So if I owe money that I'm paying over time, some people don't mind that some people do, some people can't pay it in an extreme situation. So they have to figure out the psychology there. And, but I think you're right. No matter what you're convincing me, you're no matter what it's worth. It's worth looking at your bank account and seeing what you spend on like I don't, there was a period of about two years up until recently where I just didn't even, I had an aversion to looking at my bank account. I was just scared to log in to my Chase account or whatever, Wells Fargo account and look at what was in there because I just didn't want to see it. I almost had PTSD from the prior time I had been broke and I would look at the bank account and be like negative. But then when I did look at the account, I realized someone was withdrawing money from my account every month. Like someone who I had, you know, forgotten, I'd, you know, let them make a transfer at one point or I'd helped them out at one point, And they were just basically stealing from me. Holy cow. And, yeah. and I realized I was essentially supporting someone for about a year and a half, this whole period, I didn't look at the account. And so now I'm trying to be better and deal with my own psychological issues with looking at my account. I agree with you. It's important to measure what you're spending on. Cause then I realized, Oh, I didn't realize I'm paying for this service that on the TV that I don't, I wanted to watch one show once, but now I've been paying them 59 a month ever since I started. Or I didn't realize I was subscribing to this thing from Amazon or this other thing or this other thing. And so quickly, once I started looking at that, I I realized I was saving like thousands of dollars a month by canceling these things.
2: Well, and I think you can do this. You can do this with Robin. I mean, maybe, and this is the thing, that might not be your strong suit, that this may, you may always forever have PTSD looking at this, right? Right now, business is good. You're doing well. I don't know. I'm assuming. Um, and maybe that's not always going to be the case. You'll go through rough patches. We all do. And then, because everybody likes looking at it when things are good, it's easy to look at it when you got enough money in the account to pay the bills. Nobody likes to look at it when times are tough. It immediately shuts down. No,
0: even when it, uh, look, I am, it is going, okay but I still don't, I don't, so, I just hate it. I can't stand looking at so the So give that job to something.
2: Robin. I mean, have, you know, as a partnership, have her do that. I mean, have her be handling it, but someone, I mean, again, yeah. I think you might not, you're you're not, if you were in my company, if we were working together, you would not be the CFO. I mean, no way. I'd, you'd right. be like head of brand, creative, you know, PR, smart, marketing, yeah. <laughs> business strategies, et cetera. We'd be like, James, but we'll handle the accounting. You know accounting, you know finance, you know numbers, clearly clearly. but I'd be like, that's not your strong suit. You figure out how to make the money and we'll figure out where it should go. So in your situation, you, you know, hopefully Robin's the CFO. You're the supporting character. I mean, you're the supporting guy who says, look, Robin, you know, make sure you take care of it. What are we, what are we set up for? What, how long do I keep having to do, you know, that sort of thing. But the reality is you, you, you struck on a thing that I want to share because the world, whether it's fitness, whether it's trading, investing, is all morphed into this understanding of psychology that we know the math, okay? Years ago, I lost 50 pounds. You, I mean, you'd be a, believe it. I, I was 210 pounds, I'm 160, are, I, I, yes. I, that's, I, what, what do you weigh right now? I'm 160 right now. I'm 160 pounds, thank you. But. What I learned very quickly, I always knew what not to eat, to, what to eat, and how to exercise. I, already, I always knew that. My head was not in the game. It was psychology. I had to learn, first and foremost, how to step on a scale every day. What, what measures matters, right? I had to learn how to step on a scale every day and go, okay, what is influencing my body? What is not? I had to read books. I had to become educated, et cetera. Whether it's fitness whether it's trading, I mean, think about psychology in in stock trading or investing, right? Some of the smartest people in the world are terrible in the markets because they try to approach them in this rational, you know, sort of methodology that that does not work. When you understand the psychology of markets, which I learned a lot from, you know, as we talked about from Rev, you, you, you know, then you can really start to succeed. This is no different. Understanding personal finance is psychology. You've got to understand who you are, your approach to money, what has been embedded in you, what you've learned about money, and then ultimately, where's your skill set? Where's your strength? Where's your weakness to get on the right page to succeed in the future? So
0: out of the hundreds of people that you've looked at and helped them solve their debt problems, what's the most common thing where you would say, hey, maybe you should cut spending on this. You're barely going to notice that you're not spending it and it'll be a great beginning to starting to cut expenses and increase savings. Fast food
2: and eating out by far. Mm. And it's a lack of planning. It is a complete lack of planning and understanding. And I know this firsthand when I first started, uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I needed to get a hold of my budget. I had a very limited income, was trying to build the business. And I said, okay, you know, I was a big Dave Ramsey fan. I, I still am. And he's like, get a budget. You gotta get a budget. So I sat down and I had a pen and paper and I was like, all right, well, this is my rent. You know, this is my uh, cell phone, or I don't even know I had a cell phone at the time. I probably had a pager, sounds ridiculous. But uh, this is what I spend on my car payment, yada, yada. And I was like, okay, eating out. Well, I don't know what I spend eating out. What's my utility? I don't know what my utility be. I got so frustrated. And then I went for a run or whatever I did, I don't remember. But then ultimately I came back, I said, okay, the only way I'm going to be able to develop a budget is I got to start tracking every dollar I spend for 30 days. And it just happened, it was a fluke, that at that time we were coming into a new month. So starting literally like the day one of the month, I started writing down everything. I will never forget. I assumed I spent about $200 eating out. I got to $200 in like day six. I, because every time I turn around, I was single at the time, but hey, let's go for a beer. Let's go get wings. Well, that's 50 bucks every time. I was at 200. I, all, I realized I was eating most of my money. And you think most people miscalculate this? Oh, tr- absolutely. Tremendously. They also miscalculate things like what it truly costs for Christmas. Um, every family, I don't care how much in debt they are. They feel that they are, they're almost owed a vacation, like they owe it to their children. So fast, you know, factor in two to $3,000 a year that they throw on a credit card to take their kids on vacation. Um, These things all can be budgeted for. Uh, They can be prepared for, but if you don't get a handle of where your money goes, and again, the number one thing I see is eating out all of these ancillary expenses that could totally be avoided. Um, You're never gonna get ahead. You're never gonna get ahead. The number one pitfall I see, this goes back to our whole uh, discussion, is pride. I can look at somebody's expenses, number one, and I can say, okay, uh, why do you, you know, everything, I, I talk to them and i say, and I can tell very quickly whether we're going to be able to help somebody or not. This is in our business model, but I'm just telling you from experience. Uh, when somebody says, well, you know, what's this $140, you know, a month membership to this? Place? Oh, well, that's our, you know, our gym or our whatever membership or whatever it is. Is that really necessary? Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we, you know, we're going there. And I'm like, you're, you have $20,000 in credit card debt and you're spending, you know eighteen hundred dollars a year on this ancillary expense that can be cut in a na I mean, it just blows well, me away. 1800
0: dollars is probably pays almost the entire interest payment that's that exactly year, like right.
2: That. absolutely. so it, it it takes discipline. um it it takes uh, fortitude. You got to have humility. I do believe and you know, I, I hear you speak, and it is sad. i I wish, uh, you know, you wouldn't be is who that you are how much today. I've
0: disappointed you with my real.
1: <laughs>
2: no, 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 you, you wouldn't be who you are today. I wouldn't be here because you wouldn't have written all the things that you did you know when you when you moved from finance to talking about your life and and it, it helped me and I know millions of others it, so so many times. It, it, it really kept me going, kept me in the right direction. So you wouldn't be who you are today if you didn't go through that. But it is sad that you didn't have a genuine friend. To, to reach out to and be like, I'm broke.
0: No, that's really true. I mean, it was, it was horrible, and I never— I didn't even think I needed someone to confide in, and that was the lesson, is that you need— it was an insecurity on my part. I thought my net worth was my self-worth, and even my perception— other people's perception of my net worth was my self-worth, and I couldn't— uh, now— I'm different. This was a hard lesson for me to learn, and it took 20 years to learn it. But I'm I'm grateful I've learned it. But what's what's the worst personal av- finance advice you've heard from the pros who speak? Who, who you know, I don't want to say Susie <laughs> Orman, but the Susie Ormans of the world, the ones who write about personal finance, the, the Dave Ramseys of the world, the, the people who write about personal finance, have personal finance TV shows. What's the worst advice you've ever seen them give?
2: So I. I am not, this is, Dave Ramsey is just get out of debt at all costs kind of guy. So I don't throw him in this camp um, because I do respect his opinion on this. But, and this goes back to what we've been talking about, when they only look at the math behind making financial decisions, Mm. meaning mortgage interest versus this, and they don't take into account psychology. I think once you start pulling back the onion layers of an individual and you understand what what their what their view of money is? What their you know people will self destruct. People will people have a, an aversion to money that they might have gotten as a child, where th- their parents almost embedded in them that it's a terrible thing to have money. It's a terrible thing to you know people with money are evil. People with money are, are terrible, and so they they start to get ahead. They start to become successful, and they're almost self destruct because they have this this deep rooted um, you know belief that having money is a bad thing, and so. I don't necessarily think it's the worst advice, but I think when I hear someone just saying, oh, well, you can borrow at 3% and you can invest over the long term in a, in a diversified you know, account for 8%, well, yeah, you should definitely do that. I, I think that is a very dangerous is what I'm trying to say. I think it's very dangerous because it totally uh, doesn't take into account Um, you know, the person's, you know, job security or lack thereof or whatever. It's not always going to be a W-2 income just coming in. I I love when people say, I don't love this. This is, that's tongue in cheek. But when everybody talks about the index, you know, the S&P, well, just buy the S&P 500 and don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And that's great until the market's down 50%, 08 and 09, and you lose your job. Because yeah. you need the money. You're going to be taking that money out. So, I mean, this idea that everything is just roses and everything will be fine, just invest and don't even worry about it, uh, it's ludicrous. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Like, I never rely on any specific outcome in the in the markets. I I, th- I feel like I've kind of corrected all the mistakes I've made before to some extent, even though a lot of it's just ways around my psychology around money. But, um, you know, you run a wealth management firm, just real quickly, what's what's your take? Like, what's, what's going to happen next, in your opinion?
2: Well, the m- markets, as you've written about extensively, are totally disconnected from the economy. Um, we have, uh, you know, a Fed and, and a government that's working very hard to to you know, keep the markets up. And uh, and the benefactor of a lot of the situation that we're in are some of the major corporations, you know, the Amazons, et cetera, that are doing unbelievably well. So I think long, you know, when I hate when people just bunt on the longer term, but there's there's always great opportunities in, this, in the stock market. I think there are great opportunities. I'm very optimistic. I do think though, coming into the remainder of this year, there's going to be, you know, incredible volatility. If you were to, you know, say gun to head right now, I think we just have a lot of, of, of movement up and down Coming into the election and after the election, um, but I really like and I'm and I'm super optimistic of, of of many of the companies out there and what they're doing. And so I'm I'm not one of these people who who sees the end of the world coming and you know so forth. I think we're we're going to get through our challenges. Um, I think you, you continue to you know if you're a younger person listening to this, you continue to dollar cost average in your index you know fund. You, you don't try to time the market. You know you have a diversified portfolio and you do keep it very simple. But the way you can do that and sleep at night and not be concerned about the ups and downs in the market is having your financial house in order, making sure that your budget is, is, is true. Your emergency fund is sound, et cetera. And then
0: what for you is the formula for calculating what your number is? When should someone, let's say someone has got the steady job or whatever, or they've made Mm -hmm. money in some way, their house went up in value, blah, blah, blah. What's (laughs) the number? How should like, everybody has a different number for retiring, but what's the number and how do you calculate it for when someone should retire? Again, realizing the specific number is not what I'm asking, but the formula.
2: So I'm going to answer this two ways. Uh, I had a number that I had always in my, my mind um, that was a big number and it was a wonderful goal. And I hit that when I was 40 years old and I almost had a midlife crisis. And what I mean by that is I, I was finding a lot of my self-worth and my net worth. And when I hit a goal, I was like, well, then now what do I do? And I took some time. Uh, by myself. And that actually resulted in why I'm here today. Because I realized very quickly, I probably will never retire. Um, I absolutely love what I do. I love my profession of, of wealth management. But I realized that I definitely wanted to service and help more people. And so, I uh, created DIY Money and with an objective of helping people. So, I answered that, I know you didn't ask, you, you started out saying, what's my number, but how do I calculate it? And I'll answer that in a second. But the reality is I would encourage people um, as they're calculating this, as they're figuring this out, you know, you write about this extensively. You don't say this specifically, but this is what you're, which is what I read is life is short. Life is too short to be miserable. Life is too short not to be following your passion, not to be pursuing something you love, not to be you know loving the people around you, not to be, you know, happy to the extent that you can on a daily basis. And so if you are miserable, I don't care. I don't care how much money you're making in your job. I don't care what your W-2 income is. I don't care what you have in your 401k. If you are not happy and with life, and you're not pursuing a passion, you got to change that immediately. So again, I know that's not what you asked. Now, in our in our wealth management firm, um, we we do retirement planning extensively. So uh, there isn't a number per se, we don't necessarily back into a 4% rule and say, Okay, you know, let's figure out your, you know, your budget and calculate 4%. In our firm, we actually start with that we have a unique methodology, we do a long-term financial plan, but here's what's interesting. Again, I, I and I didn't realize how much this comes back until this podcast. We talked so much about psychology. In our firm, we calculate what we call a required rate of return. So we do all the math. People bring in their budget and they calculate what they, you know, their life expectancy, inflation rate, and we figure out what the required rate of return is they need to earn on their money to reach their goals. So that's the math. But then. We have 100 years of history that shows, well, in this portfolio, to earn this 6 or 7% that you need, here is the probability of up and down markets. Here's your standard deviation of loss and so forth. Can you handle a 30% decline? And most of the time, what they feel like their portfolio should be doing versus what they really could handle is a disconnect. And that ultimately leads to poor financial decisions. So a lot of our planning procedure is once we figure out that required rate of return, we then have extensive conversations about volatility. Uh, Again, standard deviation of loss and understanding that, look, if you had a 60-40 portfolio and the market goes down 30%, you're down 18%. You have a a million dollars. Are you, Mr. and Mrs. Smith or whatever, are you okay losing being down $180,000? And when they, when I put that in those terms, they go a hundred, like we'd be down. Yeah. You'd be, if you are a 60, 40 portfolio in the market, you would at least throw in international and emerging markets, maybe 200, $250,000. So are you okay losing that? Well, no, absolutely not. Well, then we have to back off your risk, which means your required rate of return needs to be changed. And it comes back to the formula. So that's what we do in our firm every day. Um, But again, because
0: even if the average is the market returns X in those moments, like in two thousand eight or now, matter. yep. People are like, no, no, man, I can't. It's not the average anymore. And it's like, okay, just wait. No, 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 it's it's done. People people panic when it's their whole life that they're
2: talking no about. No question about it. And so we have to find what the number is and the dollar amount is that they're comfortable based on history, right? And we have we have outliers for sure. We have these these outliers, these events that transpire but we have a lot of history and so once we go through and we've been successful at this with, with our firm which took a long time look I was a equity hedge fund trader myself and I you know was a short-term trader and I, you know it took me a long time to 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 build a business around the fact that we're not trying to over complicate things but the reality is when the market was falling apart in um, in March of this year in April of this year is to have conversations with people who are who were somewhere panicking thankfully we have a, a extensive client base that many were not had been a client for a very long time but some were, and we just say, "Look, your your exposure is this. This is where we're at. You know, it's within the realm of this. You know, of what we talked about, probability wise. Now, we can change your your allocation here, but you, we, we need you to know if we change your allocation, then this is going to affect the long term. Many people made. They said, "Okay, I'm good. Thank you for the discussion. We'll you know, put it into context. We're fine." a few made changes, and that will impact them negatively going forward, obviously, because the market has roared back. So that's how we calculated it as a firm. But again, I do think I just wanted to share that I think it's important that when you reach your number, um, you know, it doesn't mean I think we're in this society where it's like, oh, I want to retire someday and just stop working. Well, if that's your end goal, I think you need to check what you're doing.
0: I, I agree with that. I mean, I think I spent the past 10 years kind of trying to stay out of the money game. Like I stopped running a hedge fund uh, early on. I do manage some money, but in general, I focused on writing and even something as moneyless as stand-up comedy. And what it ends up happening is I've created more opportunities for myself than ever before. And so as long as you, as long as you keep doing what you love, it's just too much of a cliche. There will be opportunities, but you have to be aware of them. You have to look for them and find them and be creative and so on. And now I'm actually getting more excited about entrepreneurial stuff. And I'm trying to decide if I really want to put in that kind of time, even though I'm enjoying thinking about it. So it's, I'm going through that right now. But anyway, though, but Quint Tetro, uh, host of the great podcast, DIY Money, uh, run Jewel, J O U L E, you know, wealth management. I don't, is it Jewel Wealth Management or Jewel money Financial? Management? Yeah, Jewel, Jewel Financial. financial. Thank you. I mean, not only are you on the podcast, you came down to Florida to come on the podcast on your birthday. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm sure all the listeners appreciate it. You gave great advice about debt. I think the key things for me is measure, you know, the more you measure the it, the valuable it is. And also the psychology of debt, the psychology of money, people always forget to take that into account. There's, there's math to the psychology because that shows you what is the risk you're willing to take. Uh, outside of the risk that's reality. So that's important to measure as well. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast
2: and thanks once again. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. Thanks.